Wow. They went from zero to Nixon in no time flash. Didn't they, though? Yes, they did. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Hmm? I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. A little scared, still. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in L.A., up in Santa Barbara on 98.7 FM, in San Diego on 93.7 FM, in Ridgecrest and China Lake on 99.5 FM, up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii, on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Amongst others, blanketing planet Earth, caressing planet Earth, (laughs) five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all around... Swell Fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us once again today for another all-too-thrilling episode of the Bradcast. Desi Doyen is with us as usual. Are you feeling any better today, Des? I am feeling much better. I wish I could say the same thing about the state of the rest of the world, but for me, for now, yeah. For now, yeah. I was going to say, by the end of this show, maybe not. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, we'll Things see. so um, quickly around But here. hey, here's some good news. Democrats win one for a change. What? Yeah, I know. Finally, they have succeeded in blocking a Donald Trump cabinet nominee. This uh, breaking just as we go to air here today. Andrew Puzder has withdrawn his nomination to be Donald Trump's labor secretary. That's a first. Uh, The billionaire fast food executive was opposed by Democrats. And uh, for a change here, uh, a bunch of Republicans, as many as a dozen Uh, were said to have uh, been thinking of opposing his nominee for a bunch of reasons, including the fact that he failed to pay taxes for five years on a former housekeeper who was not authorized to work in the U.S. That used to be automatic uh, disqualification for well, but, for Democratic yeah, nominees. Yeah, it's only during anyway, Democratic yeah. nom- uh, administrations yeah. when that kind of thing really counts. Puzder was the head of CKE, is the head of CKE Restaurants, the uh, which owns Hardee's and Carl's Jr. Both terrible restaurants, by the way. If you've never eaten there, don't bother. Uh, the uh, He had come under uh, criticism from Democrats for his opposition to raising the minimum wage, past controversial comments that he had made, charges by an ex-wife, which she later recanted, that he physically abused her. Uh, And Puzder is the first, the first of all of these uh, nominees so far to withdraw his nomination. 
Um, some Republicans had taken issue with Puzder's uh, stance on immigration, claiming that it was at odds with Donald Trump's. And uh, this week, a 27-year-old video of the Oprah Winfrey show uh, surfaced with his ex-wife in disguise making allegations of domestic abuse, uh, both physical and uh, psychological abuse. Uh, although, as I said, she has later recanted it. They say to be they they are said to be friends now. At least that's what Puzder says. Um, and those clips started to uh, work their way out today. I did you get to see any of those? Days? No, yeah. I frankly wasn't interested in actually looking at any of them. It seems like it's a sad and dark sordid thing, and I'd rather not. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, Democrats also pointed to the high number of complaints by women employees who work for Puzder's companies and took issue with his opposition to uh, to minimum wage, to overtime protection, to paid sick days. Remember, this guy was going to head the Labor Department. He was supposed, you know, going to be fighting for the working man uh, and woman even though he's opposed to all the things that the working men and women actually want. Yeah, he was the anti-labor labor secretary nominee. Indeed. Uh, like so many of his uh, of, of Trump's nominees, mm -hmm. actually. I uh, know. Against the, what it is they're supposed to be uh, doing. Yeah. The anti-environment environmental protection agency head. Yes. Yeah. yeah those things that that nominee uh, that nomination comes up for a vote probably later this week. Scott Pruitt. Yes. Yes. Uh, and we'll see if the uh, Republicans are, are willing to oppose that. I doubt it. There have been very, very few that they've been willing to oppose at all. As a matter of fact, I think there's only been two Republican votes against any of Donald Trump's nominees so far uh, in the U.S. Senate. Uh, the two votes, two Republican votes, uh, both women who had voted against Betsy DeVos. But other than that, the Republicans have been on board 100 percent, no matter how controversial, no matter how objectionable, no matter how much these nominees actually hate the very thing that they are now supposed to be in charge of. Senator Bernie Sanders uh, from uh, Independent from Vermont said that he is glad uh, about uh, Puzder's withdrawal from the nomination. He says the simple truth is that given his relationship to employees at the companies he runs, he was not fit to lead a department responsible for defending workers' rights. So there's some good news uh, today for uh, for Democrats. Uh, that just breaking before air. Coming up uh, in a few minutes, there may be a chaos right now at the federal level, uh, at the presidential and congressional level of lawmaking of late, as my guest will uh, discuss shortly. Uh, however, the ongoing chaos at the federal level, particularly surrounding this insane White House, Right now, this may be alarming uh, to many Democrats and progressives and reality-based individuals. But, uh, you know, to Trump supporters who are living in their own versions of reality that have been long crafted for them by right-wing news outlets like Fox News, they're hearing, they may be hearing and, and seeing exactly what they had hoped from this president as chaotic as it is, and even as chaos continues to keep uh, critics and the non-wingnut media off balance and uh, very much on edge. Many of us are on edge, even with some of this good news, things uh, like Puzder and uh, these, you know, the concerns uh, about uh, Michael Flynn, uh, his resignation 
yesterday? Was that yesterday? I two think, da- yeah. I, uh, two it days was the ago, night before last. I can't last. keep track I anymore. Know. It's too fast. Um, but yet, you know, so that has uh, managed uh, some good news in there, some encouraging news that uh, Donald Trump seems off stride, but uh, but maybe not to his uh, to his supporters. And while the chaos and utter incompetency, frankly, of this administration may be making it much more difficult, is making it much more difficult, it seems, for Congress to press forward, at least at the moment, with their major promised reforms at the federal level, like repealing health care coverage for some 20 million Americans and replacing it with some mystery plan that will miraculously provide better coverage for more people for less money, as Donald Trump has long pretended to promise. Uh, Even with all of that, that doesn't mean that Congress hasn't figured out a way to pass legislation to help get more guns into the hands of the American people, because, you know, that's what America was calling for More guns in America, including for those found to be struggling with psychological disabilities. More guns for them. That's what happened today in the U.S. Senate. Following the uh, 2012, this is back in 2012, the Sandy Hook Elementary uh, School shooting, which killed 20 children and six adults. After that and Congress's complete failure to take any action, any action whatsoever in its wake to, you know, do what Donald Trump likes to pretend he's concerned about, make America safer. Well, Republicans failed to do anything to help make Americans safer after that shooting and after thousands of others in recent years. After that, Obama, uh, President Obama at the time, implemented a federal regulation to do something, to try to do something that would at least block some people receiving Social Security disability benefits some of those people from being able to immediately buy a gun at some gun stores. That's how limited this this thing really was. But today, the uh, the Republican led Senate voted to block that Obama era regulation. Which might have prevented uh, some 75,000 people with mental disorders from being able to easily purchase a firearm. Of course, they could still get around uh, our limited background check system by buying one online or at a gun show, etc. Since the NRA controlled Congress has long refused to close that loophole. But uh, the measure now to repeal this regulation has now passed both the U.S. House and the Senate. It goes to Donald Trump, who is expected to sign it, writes AP. The uh, the Sandy Hook massacre was carried out, you'll recall, by a 20-year-old man with a variety of impairments, including Asperger's syndrome, obsessive-compulsive disorder. He shot and killed his mother at their home, and then he went to the school where he killed the students, uh, the teachers, and himself. The Obama administration rule had required the Social Security Administration to send the names of beneficiaries with mental impairments who also have a third party manage their benefits. So these are people uh, who who struggle with impairments as it is, and they are so uh, difficult to, to deal with that they have someone else managing their their finances for them. But lawmakers uh, today in the U.S. Senate, with the backing of the terrorist-supporting National Rifle Association and, and some advocacy groups for the disabled, they had opposed the regulation and they had encouraged Congress to undertake 
a uh, rarely successful process uh, designed to void regulations that Congress takes issue with. This rarely successful process is becoming more and more successful, successful unfortunately. The, uh, the measure to kill this regulation uh, today passed the U.S. Senate 57 to 43 with four Democrats, uh, Senators Joe Donnelly of Indiana, Joe Manchin of West Virginia, naturally, John Tester of Montana, and Heidi Heidkamp. Those are the four Democrats who voted with the Republicans. And uh, Independent Senator Angus King of Maine. Uh, all five of them are up for re-election in 2018. They all joined the Republicans on this. Under an expedited process established through the Congressional Review Act, a regulation can be made invalid when a simple majority of both chambers pass a joint resolution of disapproval and the president signs it. And this is what they have been using to gut things uh, like this, to gut environmental regulations, financial reporting regulations, and now guns. Senator Charles Grassley of Iowa had spearheaded this uh, repeal effort. He said the regulation unfairly stigmatizes the disabled. That's, I'm sure that's what Mr. Grassley cared about. Uh, and infringes on their constitutional right to bear arms. This infringes on the disabled's constitutional right to bear arms. Arms. Grassley cited eating and sleeping disorders as examples of illnesses that could allow a beneficiary to be reported to the background check system if they also have a third party to manage their benefits. So apparently eating and sleeping disorders that are so severe that someone else must be named to manage this person's finances for them. Uh, those are so severe they can't manage their own finances, uh, but they should be allowed to immediately buy a gun nonetheless. Mind you, the regulation that Obama had put in place had allowed such a person who was blocked from buying a gun immediately at a, at a, at a gun store versus online or gun show where they could still do it, uh, had allowed that person to appeal the decision to both the Social Security Administration and to a court of law. So it wasn't a ban on them uh, making these purchases. They could still purchase elsewhere. They could still appeal the... Uh, the designation. The designation. Yeah, but apparently even that was uh, just too onerous for those who really, really, really need to buy a gun and they need to do it immediately. Grassley said that if a uh, specific individual is likely to be violent due to the nature of their mental illness, then the government should have to prove it. Which is interesting to me, which caught my eye, because uh, so the, the government should have to somehow prove that the individual might be violent before they flag them as uh, you know, potentially uh, dangerous in this background checklist database. But how is one supposed to, A, how is one supposed to know that until after they've made uh, their purchase and misused the gun? That's unclear. But please notice that Grassley and other Republicans have shown no problem whatsoever with forcing voters to prove that they are not guilty, to prove that they are entitled to vote before being allowed to vote. Rather than requiring the government to prove that they are not entitled to vote before turning them away from the polls, it's up to the voter. 
It's up to the voter in many states to prove that they're a citizen, to prove that they're a, a, a resident. It's, as a matter of fact, in all 50 states uh, to prove that you are a resident in the particular state where you uh, where you are registering to vote. That's already federal law, the Help America Vote Act. Grassley was fine with that. But uh, for a, a mentally disabled person to buy a gun... Uh, no, that's that's up to the government to prove they should uh, they should be stalled from buying that gun. In any effect, the uh, the Obama regulation, which has now been voted down by the House and Senate, that would not have gone effect. It wasn't even in effect yet. It wouldn't have gone effect until December of this year. This is what year is this? I have to look at the calendar. We're in 2017, right? Yes. So five years after Sandy Hook. This, this regulation. one small gate, yep. this one small barrier that was easily gotten over for those who did not have such severe mental disorders that they could appeal this decision. And it only applies, as you said, to 75,000 or so people in the 300-something, maybe. maybe, in the 300-something million yeah. people in the United States. My God, I can see why it was such a priority. The 75,000 people who have been designated to have a third uh, party manage their, uh, manage their finances because of their disability. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, Democratic Senator of Connecticut, uh, he was a House member at the time of the uh, Sandy Hook shooting representing that district. He said he didn't know how he could explain to his constituents that Congress was making it easier rather than harder for people with serious mental illness to uh, to have a gun. He said, if you can't manage your own financial affairs, how can we expect that you're going to be a responsible steward of a dangerous lethal firearm? Senator Ron Wyden, a Democrat from Oregon, argued that anyone who thinks they're treated unfairly could appeal and they're likely to win if they're not a danger to themselves or to others. But gun rights groups uh, were not the only organizations who were upset about the Obama administration uh, regulation. The ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, uh, they criticized it as well. The ACLU said that the rule advanced a harmful stereotype that people with mental disabilities, um, uh, a vast and diverse group of citizens, that they are violent. That was one of the reasons the ACLU was against it. Although, you know, it's interesting because the ACLU, they do what they think is right. They, they you know, they protect rights and they are constantly described by the right as uh, radical left wing liberals. You know, uh, the ACLU, the ACLU is all the time. Remember, the ACLU actually, I, I think, went to bat for Rush Limbaugh actually help provide uh, legal support for him when he was in trouble uh, for, what did he do? Stealing drugs. He was a drug addict uh, and, and buying prescription drugs illegally or something. The ACLU went to bat for him on that. And yet they are always beat up by the Republicans when the Republicans don't like the what the ACLU stands for as some sort of radical leftist organization. A lot of thanks they get for it. Yep. Uh, the NAACP was against this. The United States Conference of Mayors was against it was against uh, killing this regulations and the National League of Cities. Uh, they all supported the Social Security Administration's effort here. Um, Dan Gross, president of the Brady campaign to prevent gun violence, said this heartless resolution puts the most vulnerable Americans at risk. Make no mistake, he said, this vote was really about deepening the gun industry's customer pool at the expense of those in danger of hurting themselves 
or others. In the meantime, uh, so the Congress got that through. They're getting something done, uh, I guess, if that's what you consider it. And we'll see if uh, Donald Trump signs it, as I suspect he will. In the meantime, while the chaotic mess at the White House uh, may offer Democrats a sense of accomplishment right now, to some extent, Donald Trump and his supporters may be seeing things very differently right now. And Donald Trump may well know that and be using it to his advantage as my upcoming guest will explain momentarily, that story is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. I came in like a wrecking ball. I never hit so hard Yes, he did. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The resignation of uh, Michael Flynn as National Security Advisor caps a remarkably tumultuous first month for President Trump's White House, writes Michael Scheer uh, at The New York Times. And, and by the way, uh, it hasn't capped a tumultuous first month. This first month is not even over yet. It feels like it. But we're not even there yet. We're still about five days short of his first month in office. In any event, uh, he writes that his uh, uh, caps a remarkably uh, tumultuous first month that has burdened the early days of Trump's presidency with scandal, with legal challenges, personal drama, personnel drama, he writes, and questions about his temperament, questions about his temperament uh, during his interactions with foreign leaders the resignation on Monday night and the continuing turmoil uh, inside the National Security Council since then have deeply rattled the Washington establishment. Senator John McCain, Republican of Arizona, railed against the administration on Tuesday, decrying the, quote, dysfunction of the country's national security apparatus and accusing the White House of being a place where nobody knows who's in charge and nobody knows who's setting policy. And that's Republican John McCain. Janitor, uh, janitor, uh, General Tony Thomas, head of the military's Special Operations Command, expressed concern as well about upheaval inside the White House. He said, our government continues to be in unbelievable turmoil. I hope they sort it out soon because we're a nation at war, he said at a military conference on uh, Tuesday this week. Scheer writes, in record time, the 45th president has set off global outrage with a ban on travelers from Muslim-majority countries, fired his acting attorney general for refusing to defend that ban, and watched as federal courts swiftly moved to block the policy, calling it an unconstitutional use of executive power. The president angrily provoked the cancellation of a summit meeting 
with the pre- with the Mexican president, hung up on Australia's prime minister, authorized a commando raid that resulted in the death of a Navy SEAL member, repeatedly lied about the existence of millions of fraudulent votes cast in the 2016 election, and engaged in Twitter wars with senators, a sports team owner, a Hollywood actor, and a major department store chain. His words and actions have generated almost daily protests around the country. And by the way, that was just a a partial summary of all that has happened in the not yet first full month of Donald Trump's presidency. Leon Panetta, a Democrat who served as chief of staff, secretary of defense and uh, head of the CIA during uh, during a 50 year career that spanned nine presidents from both parties, said, I have never been so nervous in my lifetime about what may or may not happen in Washington. I don't know whether this White House is capable of responding in a thoughtful or careful way should a crisis erupt, he said in an interview on Tuesday. You can do hit and miss stuff over a period of time, but at some point I don't give a damn what your particular sense of change is all about. You cannot afford to have change become chaos. Mr. Trump nominated a Supreme Court justice 12 days into his tenure, has issued a dozen executive orders, including ones uh, to limit the influence of lobbyists, reduce regulations, pair the Affordable Care Act, move forward on pipeline construction end trade deals and speed up deportations. Those accomplishments are catnip for the president's most fervent supporters across the country, said uh, Sarah Egan who served as a senior aide and political director for former President George W. Bush, the perspective on the White House is very different, far outside the interstate freeway that uh, that rings Washington, she said. If you're someone inside the Beltway, you think it's been really rocky, she said. But if you are outside the Beltway, you think, hey, that's why we sent him there. The West Wing also uses this chaos as a tactical weapon, believing that the flurry of early morning presidential tweets, controversial statements during the afternoon briefing and surprise executive actions work to keep their adversaries, the media and others off balance. Writing in this month's issue of The Nation magazine, D.D. Guttenplan observes the British called it window. The Luftwaffe dubbed its version duple. For the Americans, chaff was the code name for the top secret weapon that in July of 1943 allowed the U.S. Army Air Forces to obliterate Hamburg in broad daylight. For the past several weeks since taking office, Guttenplan writes, the Trump administration has been using a chaff approach to media management. And if we don't learn how to deal with it, he argues, we may suffer the same fate as Hamburg. Hopefully he means that figuratively, not literally, literally. But at this point, uh, the way things are going in this country, who knows? That's from uh, Guttenplan's article headlined this World War II military strategy perfectly explains what Trump is doing to the media. Well, he's certainly doing something to us, and that analogy may be a very useful one here. Joining us now to talk about what we, the people, and we, the media, can do about all of this, if anything, is D.D. Guttenplan. He is the editor-at-large at The Nation. His books include American Radical, The Life and Times of I.F. Stone, a biography of the great radical investigative journalist. 
He is based in London. He spent the uh, the past year traveling the U.S. reporting on the presidential election and is currently working on a book about the future of progressive politics in the age of Trump. D.D. Uh, Guttenplan, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Great to be here. Uh, thank you for staying up late. I know you're out in uh, in London tonight, and do you mind if I call you Don? No, that, that would be fine. Perfect. All right. So, and um, yeah. let me put you at ease. I, I did mean flattened me- metaphorically. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> well, you know what? Right now... I hope. <laughs> I hope so, too, because we can't be too sure right now uh, with everything that is going on. It's frightening. It's terrifying. Uh, and so before we get into how... Well, all of this uh, might apply to Donald Trump's media and political strategy. Um, Explain for us in detail, if you don't mind, uh, why the use of of chaff here? Sure. Well, I'll I'll tell you. I mean, like uh, everybody else, I spent the first week after the inauguration going slightly crazy. I mean, you know, I turned away from my screen or my phone for a second, and there would be another nominee who either wasn't qualified or wanted to abolish the agency that he'd just been named ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'd be some new country that Trump had picked a fight with. There'd be some new group that he defended. And um, meanwhile, you know, there would be people calling marches and other people writing that he was going to be impeached in a week. And, uh, you know, it was just a constant barrage. And I realized that this constant barrage was probably not accidental, and so that's what led me to to think about chaff. Now, um, for listeners who are not historians, um, if you think about the early months of World War II, the mm-hmm. United States had developed this uh, secret weapon, radar, that allowed, in the case of the British, what it did is it allowed them to see the incoming um, raids Mm -hmm. for the Battle of Britain by the German Air Force, and it meant that they didn't have to keep the RAF in the air all the time. They could rest on the ground and recuperate from the last last dogfight, and they only had to go up when the radar detected incoming planes. So that was a huge advantage, but it also had a problem, because the, the British and the Americans knew that the Germans were also developing radar, and that meant that bombing raids, which were uh, done at night, because until radar had been invented, you were, planes were invisible at night, mm-hmm. uh, it meant that Allied bombers were much more vulnerable to anti-aircraft fire, because they could see them on radar. Mm-hmm. So, And in fact, the Germans had radar-guided searchlights and radar-guided uh, artillery guns, mm-hmm. anti-aircraft guns. So the question was, what do you do about it? And this Joan Curran, a British physicist, she came up with this solution, which is thousands of narrow strips of aluminum-coated paper that we would be dumped down the chute uh, of a plane mm-hmm. into the sky, and, and then they would all spread out and create this massive cloud of decoy images which would effectively blind the German radar because they couldn't tell which of the thousands of spots that were now on their screens were the actual planes and which ones were the chaff because the chaff and the planes looked the same on radar. So their air defenses were useless. Um, And the first time this was actually used in battle was in the raid on Hamburg. uh, And it allowed the Allies to completely devastate Hamburg because the German defenses were helpless. And so how does that then apply, as you see it, to what Donald Trump and his team 
uh, have been doing since uh, since taking office? Well, because you, we've had since Trump came into office, we've had this barrage of comments and and uh, picked fights and scandals and mm-hmm. daily assaults on whoever is most vulnerable among us, whether it's immigrants or women or Muslims. Um, and I've seen and indeed felt myself the temptation to respond to everything, you know, yeah. to protest everything, which, while it's satisfying in the long run, is going to exhaust us. I mean, this is going to be a long four years, and people have to prepare for that. And, and I want to talk about uh, some of your suggested strategies and actually some of your the, the problems that you see with what Trump is doing and, and how difficult that is, you're right, to cover every day. We have that same problem, trying to figure out, you know, what's important, what actually matters. But let me get your, your thoughts on this, Don. Is this this what's happening by this White House, by Donald Trump? Is this, as you see it, a purposeful strategy on their part? Is this chaff in order to to overwhelm before anybody can take action to, to stop them? Or or is just or is it just about getting as much done as possible before their approval ratings uh, begin to sink even further? No, I think it's deliberate, and I think it's working. And I think one of the ra- the ways it's working is the same way would it would work if you were looking at a radar screen, which was clear, and suddenly you saw thousands of images of incoming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you'd be you you'd think you were about to be overwhelmed. And you know, we we on the left have often been acting either as if we're about to be overwhelmed or as if they're going to disappear in a minute. And I guess my argument is that neither of those things are true. And one of the things that helped me see through, if you like, the mm-hmm. chaff was a reporting trip I made recently to Ohio, to the Mahoning Valley. So that's Youngstown mm-hmm. and the area around Youngstown, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, the Industrial Rust Belt. The Industrial Rust Belt, exactly. Two, two counties, um, Trumbull and Mahoning County, that... Uh, that had voted for Barack Obama in in tens of thousands of vote margins, you know, 32,000, something mm-hmm. like that each time. Uh, and one of them went narrowly for Clinton and the other one went for Trump, but taken together they went for Trump by about 6,000 votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hadn't happened since Richard Nixon. So, you know, one of the things that that um, one of the reasons that I was drawn to that part of the country was because these were people who had voted twice for Barack Obama. So although I have some sympathy for the argument that says that Trump voters, even if they're not racist, were willing to at least live with a racist candidate, Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to tar people who voted for Barack Obama twice as racists. Hmm. I mean, you know, voting against a racist obviously isn't their first priority if they were willing to vote for Trump, but I think if you dismiss everybody who voted for Trump as a racist, then we're never going to win any of them back, and if we're never going to win any of them back, then it's going to be longer than four years. Well, fair enough, but how does how, how does that tie into all of this uh, sturm und drang and noise that is coming out from the, uh, from the White House, and how to Good make question. sense of it? And the answer is that what I noticed is that while we saw Sturm and Drang and noise, and we responded to every outrage and every offense given and every possible offense taken, um, the people who voted for Trump that I spoke to got a very different message. The signal that came to, into them was not scouted. It was quite clear. And it was really two, two things. One is, or three things. 
One is, here's a candidate who's doing what he said he would do, which makes him different from every other politician that we've you know, known or voted for. He said he would build a wall. People scoffed. He signed an executive order to build a wall. He said he would, he said he would throw away TPP. He threw away TPP right away. Uh, he said he wants to undo NAFTA, and he immediately set about trying to undo NAFTA. So here's a politician who keeps his promises. That's one. That's what people told me, and they, that's what they got mm-hmm. in that part of the country while we were all going crazy. The second thing is he's acting. He's taking action. So even some of the things that, that didn't work out or that were thwarted in the courts or that we assumed would be thwarted in the courts and indeed so far have proven to be like the ban on Muslim immigrants, mm-hmm. it was an action, and it was an action that he'd said he would do. And the third thing, and this is, this is interesting, is that uh, within a week of being inaugurated, Trump called all three of the heads of all three of the big automakers into the White House right. uh, and said to them that they'd better start making more cars in the United States. Now, you know, not much has come of that yet. And maybe nothing will come of it, because after all, General Motors is not carrier. You know, it's tougher to, pick, to push around such a huge corporation. Right. Um, but on the other hand, his people, and particularly the people in Lordstown, who heard the day after the election that the whole third shift was being laid off um, and felt that nobody elsewhere was paying attention to them, what they got from that is Trump is paying attention and he's on our side. Well, and that is similar, obviously, to the message that they got somehow or another through all of the noise of the campaign itself. But how does that how, how does that apply to, uh, well, certainly to we, the people, and we, the, specifically, the media? I mean... Well, I think it's... Those are diff, those are, yeah. It, it applies differently. I mean, in a way, um, I don't want to shock you, but at the nation, we don't write our own headlines. <laughs> right. So, so I wasn't really setting out to say this was what he was doing to the media. It's right. a media strategy, mm-hmm. but it's not really aimed at the media. I don't think at the media we really, as as press, we don't we don't really have that much choice about covering the president. You know, anything right. the president says, whoever the president is, is news. Now you don't have to put it all on the front page. You don't have to give a tweet. You know, the same space in your outlet, whether it's a newscast or a newspaper or a magazine that you do to an executive order or a cabinet nominee, um, but you have to cover it. So, in a sense, we can't help ourselves, and I don't really think we should try, although I I guess we can think a little more carefully about what prominence we give to which stories, and also whether we make an effort to distinguish a, a, a strong signal from all of the noise. So I guess the media can do that, but it's really more about we the people and how we respond to this. And, and but the people are in fact responding. They're responding in droves, uh, you know, in, in protests, obviously, and in phone calls to to Congress. They're showing up at the town hall meetings, uh, which is reportedly having you know quite quite a bit of an effect. That it is uh, it's hurting Trump's uh, approval ratings, it seems, and it's spooking a lot of members of the House and the Senate. It seems that this wall of resistance, you know, in, in response to this wall of noise and and policies and tweets and comments, um, seems to be 
effective to a certain extent, but I'm not sure how, um, you know, how do we the people take the media out of it? How do we the people uh, respond in a more focused effort as you see it, Don? Well, I think it's encouraging, but I don't think it's necessarily effective. I mean, first of all, you have to ask yourself, is it sustainable? Mm -hmm. You know, how many... How many Sundays can we go out to Kennedy Airport or, or you know, mm -hmm. or to LAX to say immigrants are welcome here? Yeah. Uh, you know, and can we really do that every week? Um, and if we do that every week, then we're not doing other things, and maybe we should be doing other things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as long as we're being reactive, we're not prioritizing, and we need to prioritize. And if we're uh, not doing that every week, what ought we be doing uh, in that case? Don, and I agree, it is exhausting. I can't believe it's only been three weeks. It feels like three years. And I do wonder how long uh, both the people and the media can keep it up before they just throw up their hands and walk away. But I'm not yet sure what the what the alternative is. Well, I guess I have a couple of suggestions. I mean, you know, you may I'll not take buy them. them but, I'll take but them. My, <laughs> one is that there's a, we have to understand that there's a difference between opposition and resistance. So resistance, if, if Trump says, um, I want everybody to report illegal, illegal immigrants in their town or their neighborhood. I want schools to, you know, prepare lists of kids who don't have, whose parents don't have documentation. So refusing to do unlawful or immoral acts, that's resistance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think in, to call showing up at a demonstration resistance, I don't really think that is resistance. Mm -hmm. um, and in any case, I think resistance is something that we, we may need to do a lot more of. But that isn't the main, that resistance is not going to dislodge Trump. It's, it may prevent him, it may preoccupy him, it may take up energy that he could use or the administration could use to do more malign things but it's not going to remove him what's going to remove him is opposition and opposition means not just organizing ourselves the lovely liberals who show up for every demonstration the wonderful women who flooded washington with their pink hats including my own wife and daughter um, but also talking to people who who placed their hopes in Trump because they didn't see the Democratic Party having anything to say to them. I think we'd better learn to listen to those people and to talk to them. I, uh, and I think if we don't, Trump's going to be reelected and it's going to be even longer. Well, and you're right. And we do need to talk. We do need to talk more. Um, and I'm worried we're becoming more and more divided rather than talking more. Although... Uh, well, I guess, you know, talking to uh, those folks will help us understand if, the, you know, the, even the people who voted for them are getting what they thought they bargained for. Because I'm not sure his support does seem to be slipping even among his own people. Um, but you're right. But what's your what's your evidence for that? Because I didn't see it. If you look at Gallup, uh, Gallup is doing a daily uh, tracking mm -hmm. poll. And his uh, support now is down to, I, I don't have the number right in front of me, I think it's something like 40%. And, you know, that's got to mean that uh, even some of his own supporters are, uh, are starting to peel off from him. So uh, maybe well, I'm... it's interesting because, yeah. I mean, I think there are issues that people could be peeled off on. Right. And, and I think one of the, you know, one of the reasons that, that the Republicans have not kept their promise to repeal Obamacare is because replacing Obamacare opens the potential to peel people off. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, if you're somebody who's been told, we're going to, as I heard Trump promise in many rallies I attended over the last year, we're going to repeal Obamacare and replace it with something that will cost you less and do a better job. 
Um, I have to tell you, as somebody who lives in a country where we have a national health system, mm-hmm. there is something that will cost you less and do a better job, but the Republican Congress is never going to vote for <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's one of the things that I think that they're beginning to discover as they go to these town hall meetings, as they you know see people focusing more and more on things like, well, what does repeal and replace Obamacare actually mean? Oh, it means I'm going to lose my access to health care? Suddenly, you know, a lot of the people who were, you know, in favor of the rhetoric, in favor of the idea, well, we're going to, you know, insure more people for less money. That sounds great. But when you get down to it and, you know, the media, I think, to their credit, are finally beginning to help people understand what that actually means. I think people are beginning to notice, hey, wait a minute. I don't think these guys are going to be able to do what it was they promised me when I was running for office, when they were running for yeah, office. Yeah, up to a point. I mean, I guess what my problem with that is that the media, for all our many flaws, mm-hmm. was not shy about pointing out, you know, the contradictions in Trump's rhetoric for the last, what, 15 months? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were not shy about pointing out, you know, the ways in which his beliefs, for example, were at variance with Republican dogma on deficit spending on uh, contraception, on abortion even, although, you know, he says six different things on abortion, depending on which way he's facing. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know what? He wiped the floor with 14 other Republican nominees. Uh, And then we all assumed that Trump would somehow self-destruct because his promises were impossible and his claims were so outlandish. And, you know, he's in the White House and Hillary Clinton isn't. Well, yes. Well, not not all of us assumed he was going to self-destruct, actually. I was trying to warn about exactly that, although I do think now when the rubber meets the road and people understand what these policies are, it's one thing to say build the wall. It's another thing to say, okay, let's appropriate 20 to 30 billion dollars for that wall, you know, to a whole bunch of people who have been uh, also told that government spending is out of control over the years. So I, I, you know, I think we will well, see. I mean, yes, I think that's look, gonna, there are lots yeah. of ways this can go, and one of the things that's going to be really interesting, if if you can be detached, which I can't, is going to be the the if there is a battle, the battle between Trump's promises and the Republican Congress. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me at least as plausible that Trump will continue trying to keep his promises. Uh, in terms of building the wall, which, you know, I think is is ridiculous and racist, but it's also a very big infrastructure project. Uh, and in terms of uh, raising barriers to American companies that take jobs overseas, and in terms of stimulating jobs at home, I mean, Trump's coalition, if he concentrates on jobs and chaff on the rest. Yeah. Uh, well, let's put it this way. I spoke to a politician in Pennsylvania on my way out of the Mahoning Valley, mm-hmm. and he said to me, if, if Foxconn opens a plant to build iPhones in Pennsylvania, Trump will be reelected. Yeah, well, that's... No, you're absolutely right there. No question I mean, about if, that. If, 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 if the Democrats don't find a way to take... You know, we... We, we all were told many times in the past year, Trump doesn't have a path to electoral college victory. Just, there's no path, you know, and, or the path is so much easier for the Democrats. And, and he just turned that on its head. 
And, you know, if the Democrats don't figure out a way to take back Ohio and Pennsylvania, then they don't have a path to the White House. i got to get out, uh, Don Guttenplan, but I want to uh, conclude here with something, uh, with your conclusion from your uh, piece at The Nation, which uh, just is right on the money as far as I'm concerned. You write, attending less to Trump's words and more to his actions might also free up time to listen to the legitimate fears and grievances of his supporters and to focus on the important thing, not whether potential allies supported Clinton or Sanders in the past, but on building a broad opposition now and deterring the collaboration that bolsters Trump's claim to effectiveness. Because while we giggle at Alec Baldwin on Saturday Night Live, uh, Donald Trump could be laughing all the way to a second term. I think you're dead on the money there, and I think uh, I understand it's necessary. People need a release right now. Uh, but laughing and making fun of every uh, single uh, move he makes uh, might feel good, but it may not change the, uh, the electoral equation in the years ahead. Uh, D.D. Guttenplan, uh, check out his article at The Nation. This World War II military strategy perfectly explains what Trump is doing. Uh, he is editor-at-large at The Nation. You can find him at, of course, thenation.com and on the Twitters at D.D. Guttenplan. Don, great talking to you today. I hope to do it again uh, more in the near future. Thanks very much, Brad. Take care. Thank you, Don. All right, a quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, trying to keep our eyes on, um, you know, with all of this chaff that uh, Trump is, is throwing up, trying to keep our eyes still on uh, the, the stuff that matters. And it's really hard. It is not easy. Uh, and I'm going to get to one of those stories here very soon. But uh, in response to what I was talking about with Don and the uh, the approval ratings, um, the uh, Gallup Daily Tracking approval rating over the weekend found, uh, let's see, uh, Trump's disapproval at 55 percent and his approval at just 40 percent. So he's essentially 15 points underwater. And that that those 15 points have come in just the past few weeks, just within, uh, well, since he took office almost almost a month ago, when it was pretty much uh, tied, 45-45 as far as disapproval and approval goes. It was even. He's fallen off 15 points since then. So uh, this particular poll, Gallup doesn't make available the, uh, you know, who the Trump voters are and so forth. But if he lost 15 points within the past three weeks, uh, it's got to be some uh, people who had supported Trump previously. Um, 
who suddenly are against him. That's a uh, that uh, that rating. That's a, a three day rolling average. So it was 55 percent disapproval over the weekend. That disapproval number has fallen uh, a point or two since then. But uh, approval remains at flat at 40 percent as of today. And uh, by the way, uh, it took, let's see, for uh, the last three presidents for them to hit a 55 uh, percent disapproval rating. George W. Bush didn't hit 55 percent disapproval rating until 1,678 days into his term. That's more than three years. Yeah, yeah. Barack Obama did not hit. That's well more than three yes. years. I can't do the math. That's about six years. Barack Obama <laughs> didn't hit 55 percent until 950 days in. Donald Trump hit 55 percent disapproval in just 23 days. But now uh, to uh, Don's point, though, um, a story from Gallup this week shows that 69% of Americans think that Donald Trump is a strong leader and who keeps his promises. But that was based on data from February 1 through 5, which is like, uh, you know, 10 years ago in in Trump years. So uh, I suspect that number has fallen off as well. In In any event, just wanted to mention that. Uh, but as far as uh, keeping our eyes, uh, as far as what is going on, we've uh, been keeping an eye on this uh, situation with these uh, immigration raids that are going on around the country. Now, uh, U.S. authorities have arrested an immigrant from Mexico who was brought to the U.S. illegally as a child and later given a work permit during the Obama administration in what is being reported as the first detention of its kind under President Donald Trump. Daniel Ramirez Medina is a 23-year-old. He has no criminal record. He was taken into custody last week at his father's home in Seattle by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement officers. The officers arrived at the home to arrest the man's father, according to Reuters, uh, the court documents did not make clear the uh, the reason that the father was taken into custody. In any event, the son, Ramirez, is now in custody in Tacoma, Washington. He was granted temporary permission to live and work legally in the U.S. under a program under DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. That was established by Obama back in 2012. Um, the uh, that program protects the deportation of some 750,000 people who were brought to the U.S. illegally as children, sometimes called dreamers. And it gives them the uh, temporary right to work legally in the U.S. Ramirez has filed a challenge to his detention in Seattle federal court this week, arguing that the government violated his constitutional rights because he had work authorization under the DACA program. Now, uh, we talked earlier this week about uh, U.S. immigration officials uh, who last week had arrested more than 680 people in the country illegally. Department of Homeland Security Secretary John Kelly said that the operation conducted in at least a dozen states were routine and consistent with regular operations. But immigrant advocacy groups and Democrats have expressed concern that the Trump administration will escalate immigration enforcement efforts. 
and uh, start uh, deporting people for reasons above and beyond the reasons that Obama had been deporting people, basically when they were uh, violent criminals and so forth. The Trump campaign uh, had, uh, well, Trump had campaigned, uh, says Reuters, on a promise to roll back Obama's executive actions on immigration. But since assuming office, he has kept his comments on DACA very vague. In an interview with ABC News last month, Trump said his administration was devising a policy on how to deal with people who are covered by DACA. He said they are here illegally. They shouldn't be very worried. He added, I do have a big heart. We're going to take care of everybody. We're going to have a very strong border, Trump said at the time. Now, Ramirez was brought to the U.S. from Mexico in about 2001 when he was about seven years old, according to the lawsuit. The government granted him a DACA card in 2014, renewed it again in 2016, finding that he was no threat to public safety. He has a three-year-old son. According to the lawsuit, Ramirez was asleep at his father's home last Friday morning when ICE agents arrived and arrested the father. When they entered, they asked Ramirez if he was in the country legally, and Ramirez said he had a work permit, uh, according to the lawsuit. ICE agents nonetheless took Ramirez to a processing center in Seattle, and he again disclosed his DACA work permit, according to the lawsuit. One of the agents uh, reportedly said, it doesn't matter because you weren't born in this country. And Ramirez was fingerprinted, booked and taken to a detention center in Tacoma, where he is still uh, in custody as of this week. Now, uh, this was an exclusive from Reuters, and they updated it last night uh, with the claim from a, uh, a spokeswoman from, the, from ICE who said that uh, Ramirez was a, quote, self-admitted gang member. What? I know. Uh, ICE took uh, took Mr. Ramirez into custody based on his admitted gang affiliation and risk to public safety, according to ICE. Uh, the spokesperson, uh, Richeson, uh, declined to elaborate further on how ICE established that the man was a member of a gang. Um, the uh, Ramirez's attorney, quote, unequivocally denies uh, that Ramirez is in a gang he said while in custody, he was repeatedly pressured by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents to falsely admit affiliation, says uh, Detmer, the attorney. The, de the statement issued by, the, by ICE is not accurate, he says. Ramirez, who has no criminal record, according to court papers uh, filed in his case, was taken into custody last week at his father's home. Uh, in Seattle, under 2014 guidance from the Obama administration, someone would be a deportation priority for gang activity, but only if they had been convicted of an offense in connection with the gang, not for gang affiliation alone. But yet that's what's moving ahead on, on this basis. And this story is not being covered <laughs> uh, much at all with everything else is going on. So I thought I would get it out there. That's talking about chaff. Yeah, there's your there's your chaff. That's what you don't notice when all that chaff is flying. All right, I got to get out. Uh, my thanks to our producer Desi Doyen, to DD Guttenplan of the Nation, my guest today, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com, and you can drop me email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, or you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.